Hello, hello, and welcome again to the So House Therapy podcast, a podcast where we push beyond the traditional therapy format to demystify, debunk, and destigmatize what happens in the therapy space. I'm your host, Karen Conlon, and I am completely elated to be joined today by my friend and colleague, Jalisha Gatling. Jalisha is an LMFT, a licensed marriage and family therapist. And Jalisha has just launched an awesome course called Money, Mindset, and Marriage. And, you know, one of the things that I always want to talk about in this podcast is the fact that you don't have to be in crisis to come to therapy. Therapy is not all about just talking about the big things that are going on in life. What about the other things that are really impactful like money? And so here today, we're gonna to be talking about that and how it comes into play in our relationships and in many different areas of our lives. Jalisha, welcome. Yes. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Jalisha, tell, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to this place? You know. Um, you know, you became a therapist and you were doing that. And then how you got to talking about money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think the opening to that was I was seeing couples, which is the majority of clients that I see. And I found that I was getting a couple of um, clients where they were having financial infidelity. And that's not the language that they tend to use that people, you know, but it's like, oh, there was a breach of trust, you know, so-and-so lied about a debt or, or something else having to do with money. And it was creating a lot of conflict and issues of trust in the relationship. And it just really like opened my mind up to psychology behind money. And I was super, super interested in it and just started to read and learn and study more about financial psychology and found that it was immensely helpful, not just with couples that were coming in with stress around money or conflict, but with clients that weren't talking about it and just exploring our individual relationships with money. Um, and that has transpired into, I mean, my business, my, my clinical work, like every single aspect, it's been really, really expansive. And as I've learned more about my own relationship with money, it's, you know, impacted so many different relationships. And I'm just all about educating people on their relationships with money, how it manifests in their life, you know, the, the meaning that they put on different behaviors and circumstances that happen around money. And I'm really wanting to help other therapists to bring this into the therapy room. Um, because a lot of times clients won't, or they're kind of skip over it. So, yeah. Okay. So, I'm just, my mind is a little blown right now. So I'm just recovering from all this. Okay. <laughs> you drop the mic on me within like a minute of starting this <laughs> podcast. Seriously, seriously. Okay. So financial infidelity. When we think about going to a marriage and family therapist, we are not usually thinking about financial infidelity we're thinking about the traditional infidelity um and uh, i don't know this makes me feel like i want to confess that i i bought a couple of new phone cases the other day i have like an <laughs> obsession and then like my husband caught me and he's like what is this what is this and i'm like it's a phone case it's what do you mean and so anyway 
And, and it just made me feel right now, like I fall into that category, but, um, I, I had, yeah, it's a, that's like a true story too, sadly. So, um, so there's the psychology behind finances that we don't talk about why, why is it important for people to get educated around money, the energy, the core, the connections that we have with money? Why is that important? Right? Because I, I'd like to know if it's important because I don't know, does it, does it impact our relationships? Why, why, why do we need to know? It definitely impacts our relationships. I, I mean, I think that one of the key places that I like to start when I bring this up or I'm working with couples around it is what trying to figure out what their values are around money. So essentially their money values. And it goes far beyond what we spend our money on, we value on, we value more, right? But also like how we show up. If you have a lot of value around status, around keeping up with the Joneses, that's gonna show up in your money behaviors, which can cause conflict, which can cause you hiding something from your spouse, which you know then turns into a whole nother thing. And it also impacts how you feel about yourself. Like how we relate to money, it really impacts how we show up. And especially when there's secrecy around money or what you're doing. I mean, shame is a huge, huge theme that I find in talking with a lot of people around money. And that's a beast in itself to really work through and shed. But you have to understand, like, where did that come from? I mean, even what you just said, Karen, I can totally relate to it. Yeah. And I don't even know if I would necessarily coin that financial infidelity. But I think especially for women, you know, we, I, I don't know, you probably, have a lot of girls. I mean, I, I know so many women who have said, oh my gosh, that's me or my mother that would hide things from their, you know, their father or their dad or their husband um, that they bought because, you know, we shouldn't be shopping. We shouldn't be spending. And so there's this expectation that your partner is not going to be okay with it or that it's wrong or that it's bad. And I'm like, Hey, if you have your money stuff together, if you're budgeting and that's what you like, and that's what lights you up and it's not impacting your functioning, go for it. So like there's this shrinking that happens and this almost apology, like this apology around how you spend your money. And I'm like, if that's what you value and it's not getting in the way of your financial goals, live your life. Like, yeah. So, I mean, you hit, you hit some serious areas that not only impact the people who come into the therapy space, but you mentioned therapists, right? A lot of times this is glossed over therapists are people too. Therapists come with their own issues yep. and their own baggage around money, shame being a theme that oftentimes, you know, just it's a, it's across the board, right? The therapist is shamed, feels ashamed or shameful about charging X amount, you know, regardless of how much education, how much money they've put into and, and continuing education, sometimes even the industry itself shames therapists and then come into the therapy space, someone, a client who wants to talk about money, right? And then the therapist has their own stuff come up, right? Yeah. So what we're talking about here are some maybe underlying psychological barriers that may have stemmed from where? Is it from childhood? Is it from what you saw? Is it from, you know, life experience? Where do we get this stuff? Oh my gosh. There's so many threads. I mean, you know, gender norms and like rules that are attached to money. 
of course your childhood. I mean, I always inquire with every client when I'm doing intake and getting to know clients, like what's a, what's your, what's a pivotal memory around money? Like, or what's your earliest memory around money? And it doesn't have to be necessarily traumatic or sad or a loss, but that can tell you a lot, especially if there was some sort of emotional charge tied to that. If mom and dad got along really well and were happy and we went on vacations when dad got this promotion, you know, that will definitely lend itself to certain messages that you have around the meaning of money or when you lose a job or when you get an inheritance even. I mean, some people have shame over that. Like yeah. there's like, what, what were the responses when that event happened around money? And what messages did you take away about that? And how is that showing up in your life today? Absolutely. You know, you, you remind me of some of the areas with within my own work that I've done with clients around um, not money specifically directly, but about the concept of where do we, you know, where do we invest? Where do we spend? You know, do we buy, you know, the, the more expensive dining table that's going to yep. last longer or do we, you know, do the cheaper one because right now this is what we yes. should be doing. And oftentimes one of the themes that comes up is intergenerational trauma and, you know, we know that it's not just psychologically that changes us. We also know now um, science has helped us to understand that there, there's also genetically, there's, there, there are changes, there are biological changes that happen when you're exposed to chronic trauma. And so that intergenerational trauma around money, around how we spend on, on things or how we, do we throw away any leftover food or do we just save yes. it? right? Yep. Because that's a waste. Let's not waste. Okay. And so because there's that focus on not wasting, therein comes the shame, right? Because shame versus guilt, shame is I am wrong and guilt is this is wrong. And the shame is really around this whole I am wrong. And that's really internalized, right? Totally. Oh my gosh. Yes. Those are such great points. And, you know, also another common theme I see alongside shame and guilt is just scarcity, which can totally come from uh, intergenerational trauma and just pivotal money memories and experiences. And they don't even necessarily have to be from childhood. It could be something you experienced at 21, you know, that can really impact and shake up your, your mindset around money. And it could, you know, it's interesting you talk about uh, not wanting to waste food or, you know, what impacts you spending more or less on a dining table. I think there's also a lot of withholding from yourself from trauma where you don't allow yourself to get something that you really need um, and that you can afford. But well, what if I need this? What if something happens? Like when we were evicted, when I was homeless as a child, like all those different things that you can, you know, you can sort of become a hoarder, which, you know, is its own money disorder. Um, and, you know, it's a real thing. And so people, it, it, I think a lot of times when I start talking about money and psychology and, and helping people with their mindset, people think I'm talking about struggling with money, not having a lot of poverty. And I'm like, this is so much bigger than that. Oh like it's so many more layers. Um, it touches everybody. No, no tax bracket. I don't care how much you make. Like, this is something that is worth exploring. I will. So, so let's talk, let's talk about that, that you just mentioned here about withholding 
for ourselves, women, I think our tendency is to naturally, generally speaking, hold back already, already. Okay. We already do that. Yep. I think a a lot about just feeling helpless. And that's something that I've, you know, heard from so many people impacted by this pandemic and that in itself can really block what I'm, I really try and like preach and, and put out there, let's look at what opportunities might be here. And I'm not in any way dismissing or minimizing that this is like a crisis, right? And an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So in no way am I saying that, but I'm finding that depending on where you were around or with your relationship with money and, and codependency and, and, you know, as women, we're totally socialized from a very young age to just give, put your needs on the back burner, um, to, uh, people please like making other people happy. And that also shows up in the world around money. I mean, even with asking for a promotion, asking for more money, you know, saying what you're worth, not following up on those invoices or, you know, all those things, not charging your client. Like you talked about, I'm bringing that up because the way that you were managing and and relating to money at that point is just compounded in this way. And so I was, I was on another podcast several months ago, talking about this at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was saying, you know, I, I, I totally am validating like what people are going through right now, but this is a beautiful opportunity. And I was talking specifically with couples who were really struggling to um, start to dive into what is my relationship with money look like? And life is going to continue to throw curveballs at us. And I don't even want to call the pandemic a curveball because this is like, it's a word that doesn't even exist. I don't even know, right? It's never too late. And I think to, this will come in handy, like the work that you do around this, if you really do invest in, in, in educating yourself and understanding what your money script is, what your money values are, how they show up and the tools that you can use to combat those, which is all like covered in my, in my money course. It, it can be so helpful to you moving forward when uh, one of you gets sick, when you, you know, when life throws unexpected stuff at you. And that's why this is so important because that's always, stuff is always going to come up that you didn't plan for. Um, and this is so much bigger than just like logistically budget. I'm not even talking about that piece. Yeah. So again, you, you brought up this other really crazy, interesting term here, money scripts, right? Because um, how we relate to money often manifests in other areas of our lives. And is this money script that you're referring to related to our beliefs? What is that? What, what, what are money scripts? And, yeah. and what, are, what, are, what are some examples of the types of scripts that you yeah. hear? Well, there are, there are four core money scripts. There's money avoidance, there's money worship, there's money status, and there's money vigilance. And so there are like, uh, I have a quiz in my course, but you can jump online and probably find a free one as well to take, which will give you a sense. And you usually kind of know when you kind of look at the different facets of it, but if you can even just start with recognizing where you land, and of course there's a spectrum for each one, it can be really helpful. And usually people are like, oh, oh, like it's a real eye opener. When I saw, I'm, I'm money avoidant. So that's like my core tendencies. Okay. That... Let's talk about each of those though. I, okay. I, I, okay. I need to get like, so let's do for one by one because everybody listening here has literally perked up because we all want to self-label. I mean, okay. let's be real. I, I, 
I, I, I want to, I, I definitely need to know what I am here. So oh let's talk about money avoidance. Tell me about this. Okay. So if you are, if you have money avoidance tendencies and that's your core script, you tend to put your head in the sand when it comes to money. You maybe don't open your mail. That's something I used to do. I would literally not check my mail for like two weeks. And then I just look at it in a pile because I was like, I was freaking out over bills that didn't have my stuff together. Like I, you know, and I just didn't want to know. So there's avoidance that shows up in so many ways where you might avoid making that call, following up on that uh, invoice or settling that debt or uh, talking with your partner about money, like just completely blinders on everything's fine. Everything's okay. Um, and, and just not wanting to, to go there and usually loaded with a lot of anxiety, but not wanting to face the truth. Um, and that can really open the space for you to make up stories and beliefs about yourself because you're not actually like dealing with reality. And so I had stories about myself. You're just bad with money. You'll never be good with money. You will never be able to stick to a budget, you, like all these different stories. And I just kind of accepted that this is my life. I'm just going to kind of get through. And so those are like some of the, the tendencies that, that might show up or feel familiar familiar around avoidance. It also can show up when you're shopping and like you, you, maybe you just swipe and pray. That's like one of my, <laughs> one of my um, old habits, just like swipe. Yes, <laughs> I tend to, yeah, I, I just do the serenity prayer right after I swipe. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just, yeah, just avoid it, yes, avoid just, it. And, 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 and God help me with the tap thing now. Okay. Cause now I just, yeah, I tap and pray. I don't even swipe and pray. I just tap and pray. And yeah. Totally. And I mean, Karen, even going back to what you said at the beginning with clients, like I'm thinking about how that might show up for them. Um, let's say that they are, are having a hard time financially, or they're like, I don't know that I can afford to keep coming. I'm having a really hard time. I just lost my job or what have you. They may just say, Hey, I I'm feeling really better instead of like bringing that to you. Right. And, you know, or they may quit a job instead of asking for a raise. Uh, that's a Do you know what I mean? So like that, the, like these are like, these are really, these can be huge decisions that we make from that place that can really be a big game changer. Oh my gosh, money avoidance. Okay, so check for me. <laughs> Let's go to the second one. Um, okay, so money worship. Money worship, if you fall within this quadrant, you have a, a core belief that everything will be fine when I make more money. So it's all, you associate happiness with money. Um, you uh, assume and believe that people who are wealthier, more well off are happy, have no problems. If I just had more money, I wouldn't have this problem. If I just had more money, I wouldn't be depressed. If I just had more money. And so it's constantly like wanting more. And even if you begin to make more and get more and save more, it's never enough. Never and so you're just in this vicious cycle because you are attaching happiness and satisfaction and being okay with this. And a lot of times I ask people, how much would be enough? They can't even tell me. They can't answer. And you know, I mean, is this something that one of those situations where it doesn't matter what, you, what your social economic status is, right? Yes. I mean, yes, you could come from a much more humble or, you know, place of poverty. And that is the money mindset or the, the, the money script, I should say, or on the opposite end of the spectrum, you could come from a place where it's so abundant that there, it's just never enough. Yeah. 
I mean, oh, and I think also it's like, let's say you say, oh, once I get this promotion or I save up this amount of money, I'm going to be good. And then you don't feel you, you, like, it's almost like people expect to like feel whole. Yeah. And it's like, well, what would really make you fulfilled? And also, I don't think that happy is like a fixed state that we arrive at. So I think that's another thing you know, on its own to maybe unpack. Well, I mean, one thing that's coming up for me when I hear you say this, both money avoidance and money worship is that the one thing that's lacking, and I'm, and I'm very curious to hear about the other two as well, but the one thing that's missing here is being present in now, in the here and now, right? Oh, totally. Because you with hit money, Right, right. Okay, so my, with money avoidance, you know, later, maybe, I don't know, you know, but we're not dealing with what's in front of you. Nope. Just, you know, swiping and saying the serenity prayer. <laughs> and then with money worship, it's, we're still not present. It's like, yep. what, what's the coming, it's coming. The future, yep. in the future, in the future. And avoidance could actually be something from the past. And that's why we're doing it. And, and, and then money worship is future, right? Yep. But the one pattern is that you're not dealing with the present here and now stuff, right? Yep. You're completely right. Yep. <sighs> Okay. You okay? <laughs> no, I'm not. I I'm not okay, but I want more. I need more. Tell tell me the next. So just, just tell me the next one. The I, next one, um, money status, which and it's funny because this example shows up in status and in worship, workaholism. So like if you're thinking about more, 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 there's never enough people that tend to spiral into workaholism tend to fall in that camp or in money status. So, I mean, in money, yes, in money status. So yeah, yeah. money status is, uh, tends to have a, an element of like wanting to keep up with the Joneses. And so mm -hmm. it's spending, uh, people in that camp tend to, and I'm saying 10, cause I'm saying that all these are not necessarily like true for everybody, but tend to not bat an eye at like charging for something. Uh, even if like they might not even look at how much they have or if they can afford it, it's more like, I need to have this thing and they really value how they look and appearances. And right. so the bigger, the better, they never would buy secondhand. They would never like, they don't, they want the biggest and the best and the newest and right. they'll do whatever they got to do to to get that and they're really about how things are presented what's going on with those folks that are you know and i i, I was just about to say but i am going to say it struggling with money status i it's the word that came to me right because the way i see these things these are all struggles they may not present that way they may not seem that way yes but there's an internal struggle isn't there what's going yeah. on with folks that are are struggling with money status What's that about? I'd say it's really a self-worth. Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, once I get this new thing or this house or this car, it's very similar to, to worship. Um, but it, yeah. it very much that net worth, that salary is aligned with my worth and my value. Yeah. And you know what I am worthy of, like those two things are synonymous, which is really can be really problematic. You know, this, it's, it's interesting. This reminds me of one time we were looking to change our car. At some point I was just like, I just, I don't see the point. We don't drive that much in the city. Why are we going to pay X amount of dollars for, you know, to lease a car that we don't use? Let's, let's, what do we think about this brand? It was a brand that's not a very expensive car. It's known to be an economy car. And I'll never forget. I mentioned it to a friend and just having the conversation around, you know, practical things. And oh, I'll never forget the look on her face. She was like, you want to get a what? 
And I'm like, uh, uh that. And she was like, uh, but why? And oh, the look on her face just said it all. And it's interesting because even though she, this is a person who is just a wonderful person, kind, sweet in every way, something about that response just changed something for me about this person. Mm. And then I started to notice after that, that, you know, this is, I didn't have this phrase. I didn't, I didn't have this term money status, but I started to notice other things where she would show up in that way. No, my, my friend that I love and honor and love having in my life is this person who would give you the shirt off her back. But this is a part of her that, you know, doesn't necessarily vibe with me. Yes. Yeah. And that really speaks to, you know, that I'm sure you've all, you've um, read that quote, you know, the five people around you kind of like really impacts, like you tend to have the similar salary, but not even just get away from the numbers, um, similar energies mm -hmm. and, and values around money. And I mean, even beyond money, right? Just like yes. Yes. mindset in general. And so, you know, that's another really interesting facet of like who's around you, how do they, do they talk about money? And like, what are their responses to things like that? Like how, what input do they give you and how does that influence you? And how did your family, you know, were they uh, about, you know, getting something that was practical within their means or, you know, all yeah. these different things It totally shapes how we, the, the decisions that we make around money and then how we feel. Cause that's the important piece. This yeah. is so emotionally charged. Oh. And like, that's why I say you can get a financial advisor. You can get the best budgeting app. But if you're, if you're not like dealing with the emotional side of this, yeah. like you, I just don't believe you can really make much movement. So glad that you're tuning in. This is just a quick reminder that this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and does not replace treatment with a licensed professional. Ready to hear more? Here you go. You know, listen, I always say it, emotions drive behavior, yeah. right? And um, unfortunately, most of us are ignoring the emotions because we have learned to put them aside, that they're not important, to be scared of them. Uh, meanwhile, emotions are, you know, basically hijacking our brains and driving that bus yes. and, and impacting our behavior every single day. Yeah. Okay. So this last one, what's the last one? So we've got money, uh, students, money, mm -hmm. worship, money status, money, vigilance. And people, when they read the descriptions of these, they tend to think, oh, money vigilance is the good one. And I'm like, hey, there's an extreme to all of these. Yes. Um, and so money vigilance essentially is um, when you, uh, you're very organized with um, your finances and um, tend to have a very strict budget. Um, you live far beneath your means generally, like far, far, far beneath your means. You do, you're, there tend to be elements of frugality, um, which, you know, I think is relative, but um, there tends to be a, a resistance to spending anything that is not absolutely necessary. And I see this with couples a lot where one person falls your finances and tend to have a very strict budget. 
Um, you live far beneath your means generally, like far, far, far beneath your means. You do, you're, there tend to be elements of frugality, um, which you know, I think is relative, but um, there tends to be a, a resistance to spending anything that is not absolutely necessary. And I see this with couples a lot where one person falls within money vigilance and there's conflict because they're on vacation or even just wants to buy like yeah. a name brand something. And this one is like, no, why? Like, we don't need that. And it can be a real struggle because they have different ideas of what's necessary. Yeah. And typically the person who's in money vigilance, they don't necessarily value. Um, this sounds bad. I was going to say a lot of fun, but like, well, but, but, you know, <laughs> No, but there's a point to, but you're making a really good point, right? Because, you know, we, we've all known people who only uh, see value in always being productive and don't see taking moments of relaxation as ways of replenishing your body and mind um, so that as a, as a productive exercise, as, as a way of initiating self-care, right? So it's all relative and it's all your perception and it's all really, I think, colored by the lens of your beliefs and your values. Totally. Like you said, it just, it comes back to that. I, I wholly, uh, wholly agree with you and money vigilance also, it's not, I, I agree with you. It's not this whole thing about having fun. I was thinking also about therapy, like how some people like, yeah, you, you know, if, if, if you have a physical health problem mm. you go to the doctor you take care of it but with mental health it's like well I don't know if I want to pay yes it's looked pay. at like a luxury or something like not a necessity right or a or if baseline I can, or if I can right or if I can because sometimes let's be real right I yeah. mean therapy is not always cheap and um insurance companies make it very difficult for therapists to to take insurance right. um, most people don't understand all of the issues that that go on with therapists and insurance companies and how they make it very difficult. But, you know, even, you know, even at a lower paying scale, I've, I've, I've offered it in the past, for example, and have people said, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I get that. And I have to accept that. Yes. And I, and I think Karen, that's a, a question that I love asking um, potential clients. And I've been told that this is a little provocative, but I say, is it that you can't afford it or that it's not worth it? Cause you know, there's, those are two different things. And sometimes we can tell ourselves that I can't afford it. And that's something that can come up with someone who does fall into money vigilance where they have a plethora. Like, I mean, they usually have it, like crazy savings. They're usually very secretive about it. They don't want to talk. If you like ask them, well, how much money do you make or do you have saved? They usually, they have tendencies to lie to their partner more about yep. those things. Um, they don't want people to know how much they have. They want you to think they make significantly less and they can have real anxiety. I mean, it can be crippling where they fear um, losing it, not having enough, which influences their wanting to hoard it yeah. and, you know, yeah. and not spend it anything unless they absolutely have to, So, you know? well, well, let me ask you this, right? Um, the pandemic, we're, we're already coming with, you know, one of these beliefs, one of these core beliefs, has the pandemic made it better? Has the pandemic made it worse? What, what, what do you think has gone on now having to live through the pandemic and, you know, fears and working remotely and not knowing? 
it's, I mean, I think it's, it, it has compounded the beliefs that you held prior to that point. I do think that for some people who, like I was saying earlier, were already sort of working on, or at least just having that awareness around the mindset piece and your, your scripts that they could, this could be an ultimate like test of creating this as an opportunity versus an obstacle or right. just like complete helplessness. Because again, I think it's, it's really important. I've, I've worked with so many clients where some have been like hitting the ground, reaching out to people, starting a business that they've been wanting to do forever, like almost grateful to have lost the job that they kind of really hated that right. was sucking their soul dry. And right. so um, it's had them be a lot more intentional and in putting out this different energy to make what they want to do happen versus people who have been completely just in, in victimhood. Yeah. You know, living yeah. in that space and and not taking any kind of actions or seeing that there could even be an opportunity in this. And that's all mindset. Are you talking about opportunities to career change or opportunities in changing the way that you see yourself in connection to money, like the value that you bring in? Like if you lose, you know, God forbid you lose your job, changing the way that you see yourself now that you're a non-money producing part of the family? All of those things. Like, and I think that they all, like, they're all intertwined. I don't even know that it, it, they could be separate, but like, what is the value that you put on yourself as a human, as a, as a mom without bringing in money, like recognizing the value that you bring in other ways. And because for some people, I mean, I think for a lot of people, like their job or the amount of money that they make or bring in, like that is their identity and like self-worth, like kind of right. going back to that script. And so, you know, it could be a time to really unpack that, to challenge that, to be curious about like the other facets of yourself and yeah. like, how, how do you want to experience yourself? I just think that through so much loss, what's been highlighted for so many people outside of even money is just like, what, what lights me up? Like, what am I not missing? I have a whole long list of things that I do not miss that have gone away and I've been surprised yeah. by it, you know? So it's like, I feel like our values, this is like a beautiful time to like hone in on that. Like we can, we can see it, but what do you do with that? Yeah. And what can you do with it? Like, cause I, you know, like what can you, what action can you take? Yeah. And that, that's, that's a really important piece because oftentimes we focus on things that we can't control, or we focus on things that, that we wish we could change or on the unanswerables, the what ifs and, you know, what could have been, should have been, what, you know, could be, would be, and maybe what would happen if we were to just allow ourselves to look at what we can do that maybe this job or this situation hadn't allowed us to. That can be scary sometimes though, too. Oh yeah, for right? sure. The no, super scary. Right, the thought of freedom, even in thought. Yes. Right? Oh, hands down. Um, definitely will validate the crap out of that. Um, yes. not saying that it's not saying that it's easy. It's super uncomfortable. Yes. Growth is uncomfortable. Like change is uncomfortable. Yes. Even if we're not happy where, where we are. Yeah. It's terrifying. Well, and I mean, the one thing that we know is that 
oftentimes when, especially in the therapy space, it's important for people to know that oftentimes you feel worse before you feel better. And that's the way it goes because it's the first time that you're allowing yourself to look at things, to feel things, to uh, acknowledge things, to accept things. And if it's the first time that you're doing that, you are bound to feel worse before you feel better. But you, we don't get, and I've said this before in podcasts before, we don't get over things, we get through things. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. Say it again. We don't get over <laughs> things, we get through things. Okay, um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about money in different types of relationships. Because we've talked about money uh, thus far, generally speaking, in the sort of couple or marriage scenario. Let's talk about boundary setting mm -hmm. with family members, dating, relationships. How do we do this in a way, how do we talk about money in mm -hmm. a way that, 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 that feels okay? Oh, does it ever feel okay? Maybe not. I don't know. Ooh, how much time do you have, Karen? Um, I have a great person. <laughs> don't worry about it. You might it have out. to split this up into two episodes. <laughs> part one and part two, boo-boo. Don't worry about it. Um, okay, so the question is, you're talking about talking about money with those other relationships? Um, or with yourself. Why don't we start with our core selves? Because, you know, here, here, here's what I think, right? You, you can't deal with other stuff with external stuff before you effectively before you've dealt with it internally yeah 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 and i mean i think that can uh, an easy place to start with yourself is again i urge anybody listening to to take a money scripts course i mean not course i'm sorry quiz quiz as a starter and like see for most people they're like really like having a lot of aha moments and like scanning every context of your life like make yourself go where this might show up at work where it shows up with your in your relationship with friends and dating um with your parents with your kids you know and really digging into where that was modeled where that might have come from just to like i think it's important to like self-compassion because there can like again we talked a lot about shame and guilt but i feel like when we can have that awareness of like oh that makes sense my mom society gender norms it's like the list goes on and on right like yeah. this isn't something that we're just born with and i am this way but like understanding the why i think can just help you to have grace with yourself and to begin to take different actions that will serve you and that will um, empower you. So I'm hearing clarity. The first step is gaining clarity on how you feel about money. And then the second step is taking some actions that align with that clarity. Right. Yes, clarity and and just and this is like an ongoing thing as far as like the clarity and awareness, just like heightening yeah. that awareness. And even I think once you begin to dig into some of this stuff and understanding when you're moving about through your life, you're going to start clocking stuff. And that's like the really it can be the juicy part in a way where you, you know, start to maybe kind of slow down before you make that purchase or before you tell your spouse that, you know, oh, I forgot about the mm -hmm. 
money meeting we were going to have, you know, like, and just kind of like questioning that you'll start to clock it because it's in your mind and you've been kind of marinating on it, you know, and th those are like beautiful moments where you, you have those moments of like, oh man, I almost did this thing, or I did that thing. And I understand why I did it. And what can I do next time to set myself up for a different lane? Yeah. And you know what? So let me, I'm going to correct myself based on what you just said. The first step is actually gaining awareness because you can't have clarity before having an awareness, right? Yeah. So it's really gaining awareness that there are these things going on that you are engaging in these behaviors. Maybe that family members are too, or friends, mm -hmm. or significant other. And then, then you can start gaining some clarity around what it is that you need to do. How do we set boundaries? How do we set boundaries? I think that most people, when they think about boundaries, they think of conflict. And uh, I'm a big proponent of no, 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 we can actually set very healthy boundaries without creating conflict. If we focus on making the changes within ourselves, if we're trying to focus on changing other people, and we're setting yeah. those boundaries for other people, we're expecting that these boundaries are going to change other people's behaviors. And that's mm -hmm. not so how do we set healthy boundaries? starting with ourselves with respect to money when we have family members um, or friends maybe around us that are not in the same financial position or that maybe are you know struggling or that you know I don't know need some extra help or maybe that they don't need the help but you know you maybe feel some kind of um, obligation for some yeah. reason. Oh my goodness. Karen, well, first of all, you rewind this a little bit and yeah. like listen to what you just said about boundaries. Cause I think that is so important and such a misconception mm -hmm. that we think about boundaries as setting a line and you know, you having you not do this thing or respond in a certain way. And it really is about protecting your energy and your space while also loving this other person. Like, like, how can I do both? That's what I always ask myself. Like, how can I um, protect myself while also like not wanting to like block you when you call me? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it needs to, does that make sense? Yeah. So like understanding like what boundaries are. And I think for a lot of people, it's a real like re, it, 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 I have to remind myself and I'm a freaking therapist, like constantly. Yeah. Seriously, it's it's not. I just want to like anyone who's listening, like it's not easy. Um, but uh, when you're talking about boundaries with friends and um, family, coming back to like your why. So especially if what you've been doing, a lot of times I think especially as women, because we're so groomed to like give and be there and like be the the matriarch and the person you know the glue of the family and all of that, mm -hmm. um, that we. Uh, tend to just almost give, 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 and not even necessarily ask ourselves, do I have this to give? Am, am I, is my tank on E? Like, do I have the time? And we will very easily like put our stuff to the back burner and say, I'll get to that later, which will lead to resentment. Yeah. And you'll start. And so I say, if you are feeling resentment, that's not generous. Like it's not, yeah. I tell my clients this all the time. I'm like, you shouldn't feel resentful or like rolling your eyes or we spend the whole session talking about you gave your brother money and you're pissed and blah, 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 blah. Like that, that wasn't you doing a kind thing. 
Right. You know what I mean? And so like coming back to you, what you need and understanding why you might say no, or I say, Hey, give yourself a middle ground of someone um, that you've maybe been loaning money to or helping out. And it's becoming, it's an issue at this point for you. And you want to change that. You need to change that up to even say, and this is like, I say this as like a starting place because it can be really hard to go from like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To absolutely not to let me think about it. You know, someone is asking yeah, a favor of you and it doesn't it. have to have to do with money necessarily. It could be time. It could be, could you, you know, do this thing for me or pick X, Y, Z up like saying, let me get back to you. And I think as women, I don't know if you agree. I feel like we yeah. automatically, yeah, 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 sure, sure. And like, you know, yeah. so slowing down and like giving yourself a minute to think about it. You don't have to give a direct yes or no. Yeah. Okay. Folks, I, I need you to write this down <laughs> in your phone somewhere. Uh, put it on a post-it note so that you can put it in front of your mirror, wherever it is. Okay. Save it as your screen, whatever on your phone, right? Your, your, your lock screen picture, write this down. Let me think about it. Let me get back to you. Let me get back to you. Please, 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 please. If you are the person that has the tendency to jump in and just say, okay, yep, yep, yep. That's fine. And then later you find yourself feeling resentful, regretful, pissed off, uh, upset, angry, right? Feeling victimized, manipulated. If you're feeling any of those things, then please write down those phrases and put them somewhere where you can see them every day because it is okay to be able to say that. That's the first thing. The second thing is, guess what? Saying that is a way of setting a healthy boundary without conflict. Saying, let me think about it, or let me get back to you. By doing that, you are actually setting a healthy boundary. You are setting expectations. And you're also putting yourself in the position of being in control. Because the money is yours to say yay or nay. And then you take that time to think about what it is that you're feeling with regards to that decision, with regards to that person. Do you feel responsible for that person? You know, there's a difference between compassion and feeling responsible. You can feel compassion for a person and not feel responsible for them. Once Mm. you start feeling responsible, that's not compassion anymore. Yes. That is not compassion anymore. So when you say that, you give yourself time, you're giving yourself some time to think about how you feel, become aware of your behaviors, and then make a decision as to what you want to do. And one thing also that you said, Jalisha, that again, I think is so important to people pointing out, like when you think you're doing a kindness, ask yourself, am I enabling this behavior? Am I enabling this person that I think I'm helping out, but am I enabling this person to continue to be on a self-destructive, I am helpless slash hopeless journey? Yes. And you're not doing it on purpose, right? You're trying to help. But sometimes we do things for people because it makes us feel better or because we don't want to deal with the conflict and not because it's actually good for them. Yeah. But you're left with that inner conflict. It's not like you're walking. That's right. Like that's the thing. So that's a sign. And that's what you just said, Karen, 
in like emphasizing the let me get back to you the the thing about that that's beautiful is it's starting to work out that muscle of slowing down yeah. and not making emotional decisions or decisions from a place of obligation or from yes. patterns like it's important to allow yourself time to think and to be able to think through this intentionally you can't do that when you're emotionally overwhelmed yes. or when you're stressed or you know like it just you have to give yourself time to breathe and to actually think through what you want to do and what you yeah. can do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's give people some points on how to bring up the money talk in healthy ways. How do we begin? How do we begin with ourselves? I think it begins if, if you're open to it. I, I'm, I say that because I just had someone tell me, I don't do journaling. Stop telling me to journal. I was like, okay. So I think I'm a little like a little traumatized from that where I'm like, I shouldn't have seen a journal, but yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, journaling or, I mean, it could be any other form of expression. I think some way to like get all of this out, like allow yourself to write that angry letter um, to maybe your parents. I mean, I, I think some people really struggle with like, I didn't know what I like. I wasn't taught this. And there's like an anger at that. Like if I had known this and sometimes there can be resentment towards that. And so these conversations don't have to necessarily happen or start with uh, that other person. But I think right. like getting it out in some way, especially, and I'm a big fan of like drafts, like just let it out, like curse, say stuff that you wouldn't probably actually say in that way, but like get it out and like validate what you're feeling around that. Okay. So let it out. And it doesn't have to be with a person. It can just be you allowing yourself to let it out through journaling, through, you know, just writing it down one time. And then once you figure out that you, you didn't know, right? Like nobody told you, what is it that you need to do with yourself at that moment? Uh, how do you give yourself a break? I think from that moment, that, that, that is, creating a space for you to validate what you're feeling and to love on yourself yes. and to be compassionate, you know? So like, that's really, really important. I think before you begin to approach, especially if this is like a brand new conversation or someplace that you have never went with yes. this person that you do that for yourself. And then before you open up that dialogue, get really clear about what message do you want them to walk away with? What do you want them to know? Maybe it's just to understand how you're feeling. Maybe it's not anything more than that. Maybe it's yeah. a new boundary that you're um, wanting to set. Like, what do you want them to walk away understanding? Or like, what, what is that? You know, we can't necessarily say what we want them to do. We can set a line and they can choose to meet it or not. But like, I think be crystal clear. What message do you want them to walk away with? And really practicing um, how you will articulate that so that it's clear. Yeah. If you need to write it down, I'm a fan of like bullets, like whatever you got to do, but like be clear so it doesn't go all yeah. over the place. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we do in the therapy space a lot is uh, role play. You know, people initially feel a little silly about it, but you know what, once they start getting into it, uh, they find that when they actually go do it, they feel a lot more comfortable. And the other thing too is uh, bullet points, right? Just just make some bullet points of the main things that you want to yep. say, because when we're nervous about having a conversation or anxious, we tend to ramble and then we go off tangents and then we lose the person uh, because we're so focused on trying to get the message out. So uh, in this case, sometimes less is more and yes. coming up with the very 
very specific bullet points. And the other thing too, is that um, I think working collaboratively and you know, bringing that into the space and saying, you know, we're in this together. This is a you and me thing, right? If that is, if that is what you're dealing with. And I think that beginning in gratitude is mm -hmm. something very important, right? Whenever you're having a tough conversation, it always, I, I find that it, it, it brings the walls down when you can begin the conversation with something that you appreciate about the person. And even if it is, I, I appreciate that I can feel comfortable and safe even having this conversation with you. I mean, my yeah. goodness, what a big difference than saying, listen, we need to have a conversation. Totally. Like, oh so my gosh. You, you're going to bring up the same thing, but the way that you present it will definitely either close the other person down, shut them down, or it will perk their interest and soften them up a little bit to, to, you know, what you have to say. And then, you know, finishing also with, um, with show of gratitude of being able to have the conversation. I mean, I just, I'm a big fan of it. What about the acknowledgement of feelings of things that are going on? Is that important? Is that a, is that a healthy way of bringing up the money talk? Starting with that as well. I think if that is, I think it is important, but I think the bigger question is like, what's the meaning of that for you? And that's why I really try and stress with clients. And I do a lot of role play too. Love it, love it, love it. That, you know, emphasizing the boundary thing again, that we're not doing this to get a certain response from them. But for some people, just getting it out and saying it, like speaking your truth without necessarily it being valuable because they responded in the way you wanted, but no, like sometimes it can be really freeing to say that, say something that you've never said to your mom before that you've been feeling and brewing on for years or to your partner or to a friend who, you know, constantly doesn't show up for you or whatever, like to say, Hey, this has really hurt my feelings and something I've held in. And these are all the ways that it's been impacting me. Like yeah. that can be liberating, even if they're like, you're crazy. And then that's a sign that, you know, yeah. perhaps, Right. Yeah. So, and that's, um, I mean, that, that in and of itself, you know, people's reaction and what to expect, that's a whole other, I mean, we could do a whole right. class around that. So um, I think the point here is to remember that um, after you've thought things out, really think about that outcome, what you would like, but well, first and foremost, think about what you want for yourself yes. because you can't change other people. You may not be able to change situations, but you can set, certainly set the expectations for yourself. Jalisha, can you please tell us for anybody who wants to get in touch with you, learn more about your course, take your course, Money, Mindset, and Marriage. Tell us where we can be in touch with you. Sure. So I have two uh, websites for two different audiences. So if you are a, a non-therapist and you're listening to this podcast, you definitely want to check out www.letsunpacktherapy.com. And if you're a therapist, you want to check out my Instagram, um, Saving the Saver. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jalisha Gatling. This has been, I mean, oh my God, just personally so much fun. I actually kind of forgot that we were filming or not <laughs> that we were recording this podcast because these are just the types of conversations that we have all the time. And, you know, they're just so fun and real and authentic. And I want to thank you for bringing up this really important topic of, of money that is a constant. It is an everyday constant in our lives. 
And I think, you know, especially bringing up those four types is, is really just a wonderful first step for people to start understanding how they function and their correlation with money as just a first step. Yes. So thank you again. And for everyone listening, thank you so much. As always, if you want to know more about our practice, cohesivetherapynyc.com or this podcast, be sure to head over. Oh, I just said it too. Cohesivetherapynyc.com forward slash podcast. You can check out the show notes there, get information on Jalisha, and uh, you'll also be able to find other resources, links, and how to get in touch. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next week when I once again ask, so how's therapy?